Would you rehire your IPS today? Hi, I'm Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm discussing this question with Kurt Bertone. He's the CTO with Fidelis Cybersecurity. Kurt, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Tom. Glad to be here. So, Kurt, organizations have invested tons of resources into IPS. Tell me what's wrong with their traditional solutions. Well, you know, Tom, IPSs have been around for a long time, decades really. And, you know, they were designed for the attacks of the day, the attacks that were prevalent at that time, which, you know, generally speaking, were sort of packet-level server-side attacks. Like, you know, the, the, the classic example would be a buffer overflow attack. So these were attacks that were visible in the packet stream and often visible within a single packet. And the problem is that today the vast majority of threats that traverse networks are not visible in the packet stream. They're buried under you know multiple superimposed layers of encapsulation, encoding, embedding, compression, obfuscation. So they're nowhere near visible in the packet stream. And What's really important for folks to understand is that packets and content are not the same thing. You know, in most cases today, attacks are hidden deep inside the content. They're not visible in the packets. And so traditional IPSs are packet aware, but they're content blind. Another thing about, you know, traditional IPSs is that they tend to be almost totally focused, if not completely fixated, on the initial exploit with very little, if any, visibility over other phases of the threat lifecycle or the kill chain, like, for example, infiltration, command and control communication, lateral propagation, and especially data exfiltration. They're also, traditional IPSs tend to be totally focused on real-time detection and even prevention. They don't have any form of what I call non-selective network memory. So, you know, they can't go back in time and look for threats that occurred in the past. And so, you know, if you think about uh, a network security system as if it were a human brain, you know, in a human brain you have this really, you know, fast decision-making cortex, but you also have long-term memory. And, you know, just like a, a human brain, a network security system really needs to have both in order to be, uh, in order to be effective. Kurt, talk to me a minute about the evolving threat landscape. How has that contributed to many IPS solutions really becoming obsolete? So I kind of alluded to this a little bit, you know, a little bit in the in the last question. But the, the fact is that the attacks that really matter today are not packet level server side attacks. They are content level client side attacks. Like, for example, a spear phishing attack followed by some document based exploits that exploit vulnerabilities in desktop applications, not server applications. The attacks that really matter today. They don't break down the front door. They're invited into the organization by humans. And what they really attack is what I call the carbon layer as opposed to the server layer. So, and another thing is that organizations today have, they really architect their networks differently than they did at the time when IPSs were invented. Because back in those days, people used to put all kinds of things in their DMZ. So they'd have all kinds of servers with all kinds of open listening ports all kinds of exposed vulnerabilities that were directly exposed to the Internet. Today, that's not the case. Today, people are much more, much more selective in terms of what they put in their DMZ, and their networks are, 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 are locked down much tighter from the inside out than they used to be. So 
the server-side attack service has actually gotten smaller. And that's one of the reasons that attackers are now focused on client-side attacks, because that's the easiest door to get into. So talk to me about the vendor community. How have solution providers tried to overcome the shortcomings of these traditional IPS solutions? Well, one of the ways that you know IPS vendors have tried to overcome the limitations of these very packet-centric uh, architectures is by delivering signatures that are focused on exploits and specifically known variants of those exploits, often with a unique signature for every single variant. And so, you know, this has caused a huge proliferation in the number of rules and signatures that are required to actually make the IPS be effective, particularly when you consider the fact, you know, that you need to address how the same exploit or piece of malware could be delivered through multiple vectors, such as web or email. And also, it's exacerbated by the fact that, you know, these signatures, because the IPS, it's packet, but not protocol or content aware, it's just a huge number of signatures that, you know, you have to keep up with, and it's literally impossible to win that race. So that, that's one thing. Um, another thing that the IPS vendors have done is they've basically, you know, all bolted some type of a, you know, a cloud-based sandbox or what I call a magical cloud to the IPS. And then they, they you know, they tell people that, you know, the magical cloud is going to detect all the threats that the IPS itself can't detect unilaterally. And the way that it gener- generally works is the IPS really, because it doesn't have, it doesn't really have deep content visibility, it just picks the outermost object off of the wire and sends it up to the magical, magical cloud. And then, you know, the magical cloud does its analysis. And if it finds that, if it thinks the object is evil, it takes a hash or basically a fingerprint of that outermost object and sends it back down to the IPS. And the theory is that the IPS will be able to, you know, detect and maybe even prevent the attack the next time it sees the outermost object on the wire. The problem with that approach is that the most sophisticated attacks these days are packaged and delivered dynamically, meaning that the outermost object changes all the time. So, you know, the hash that you took in the magic, magical cloud and sent down to the IPS doesn't do you any good because it's already outdated. So basically, you know, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a magical cloud, but you know, you can't make the IPS's detection and prevention capability totally dependent on the magical cloud. And uh, uh, you know, a modern IPS has to have deep content visibility and client-side threat detection and prevention capability right on the box. Kurt, I want to talk to you about this modern IPS in a moment, but first let's talk about this disconnect you've described to us. Why and how have organizations failed to recognize this? You know, I just think it's kind of a case of low expectation. People have sort of come to not expect their IPSs to prevent all their attacks, you know. They don't blame the IPS when the attacks succeed. You know, what they've been doing is basically throwing more and more boxes at this problem. So, you know, next-gen firewall, IPS, network-connected sandbox, maybe some other stuff. You know, they just pile all these all this equipment on the on the network, and they hope that it's going to solve the problem. And it doesn't. And when it doesn't, they you know they don't blame the IPS. So, you know, so you know, I, I think it's time for people to you know start demanding that the IPS evolve to to better protect them against these kinds of modern attacks. You know, people, you know, I, they've almost forgotten that IPS does stand for Intrusion Prevention System. It's supposed to be a thing that you connect to your network that actually 
protects you from attacks and not just a thing that you pay maintenance on out of habit. Let's shift now and talk about this next generation IPS solution. What would you say are the essential elements of this approach? One thing I would say is just deep content awareness, not just packet visibility, but deep content awareness. And that's over not only inbound, but also outbound threats. So the ability to look deep inside the content, detect threats, both inbound and outbound, that are not visible in the packet stream. That, that's number one. Uh, number two, you know, client-side threat detection, using a multiple, you know, a multiplicity of detection techniques, both static and dynamic, on box as well as in the cloud. Another thing would be, you know, having retrospective detection and response capabilities in addition to real-time prevention capabilities. So that ability to go back in time and find threats that you didn't know were significant at the time that they happened. And also tight integration with an endpoint, some type of endpoint-based detection and response system as well. Because the, the truth is, is that, you know, no matter how good your network IPS is, there are certain things that you just can't see when you're plugged into the network. And, you know, you have to have visibility also over the endpoint. So, you know, tight integration with endpoint-based uh, detection and prevention systems also very important. Kurt, we started this discussion sort of tongue-in-cheek with the question, would you rehire your IPS today? So to stick with this theme, what are some of the questions that security leaders really need to be asking when they are hiring their next-generation IPS solution? So if I were interviewing an IPS today, I would ask them to tell me about a time when you prevented a deeply embedded content-level threat that wasn't visible in the packets. I'd also ask them to tell me about a time when you automatically detected an attack that happened three months ago. And tell me about a time when you detected data that was actually being stolen out of the network, that was actually being pushed or pulled out of the network by an attacker. Kurt, I want to ask you about Fidelis Cybersecurity now. How are you helping your customers make this shift from the traditional solution to the next generation IPS? Well, you know, we've developed a solution that we think does everything that a modern or quote-unquote next-gen IPS should do to protect enterprises from today's attacks. So, for example, you know, it provides really deep visibility into the content that's flowing over the network, not just the packets. It uses a lot of different techniques to detect threats, not just signatures, although signatures are obviously an important part of it. It can detect the attacks over all phases of the threat lifecycle, not just the initial exploit phase. Um, and it can detect attacks that happened in the past as well as in real time. It also provides support for response and remediation as well as prevention, and it does all of that stuff over both networks and endpoints. Well, final question for you. Let's look ahead to 2017. Based on what we've talked about today, what you're doing today, how do you see this IPS market evolving in the coming year? So this this idea or this notion of uh, of a quote unquote next gen IPS has actually been around for a long time, but the problem is the vendors never really built one, and the market and the analyst community never really demanded one. But I think that's really starting to change, and I really think that in 2017 and 2018, you're going to see the market definition of an IPS evolve and expand beyond the, the traditional IPS capabilities to include all of these things that we've been talking about today. Well, Kurt, I've really enjoyed our discussion. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. Thank you. The topic has been, would you rehire your IPS today? 
I've been speaking with Kurt Bertone, CTO with Fidelis Cybersecurity. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.